<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Hello, good friends. Good to see you again, and welcome back to the Bill Press Pod. Hey, what's going on? It's been two weeks now since Donald Trump got that letter from Special Counsel Jack Smith informing him that he was a target in Smith's investigation of the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol. Yet, even though no charges have yet been filed, we do know from Smith's letter what we can expect any day now. In fact, by the time you hear this podcast, Trump could already be charged for his role in defrauding the United States in the conduct of an election, disrupting an official proceeding of Congress, and inciting an insurrection against the United States government. And if that comes to pass, these will be by far the most serious legal challenges Donald Trump has ever faced. So how will the Republican Party respond? What impact will this all have on the 2024 Republican primary? And how will Donald Trump deal with it? Nobody has better insights into what's going on than our guest today, Susan Glasser, staff writer for The New Yorker magazine, author of the weekly online column, Letter from Biden's Washington, and co-author with her husband, Peter Baker, of the best book about the Trump presidency, The Divider. Susan Glasser, good to say hello and welcome back to the Bill Press Pod. Thank you so much. I'm delighted to be with you. I guess, Susan, from now on, we're going to have to start introducing you as the mother of Theo Baker, huh? I mean... <laughs> you know, that is an uh, awesome I, title, by the way. <laughs> but, uh, indeed, just so all of our listeners know, uh, your son, Theo, um, a freshman at Stanford, uh, won this big journalism prize for reporting that he did for the Stanford Daily that ended up causing the resignation of the president of Stanford. Wow, uh, that's quite a coup. You know, uh, it's, so congratulations! Uh, <laughs> it's wonderful to see this hard work, but there is a little bit like you know the uh, the the dog that caught the fire truck. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> what do you do now? I just you know we all wonder where did he get all those reporting skills? Where did he get that instinct for the juggler from? Right? Uh, no, yeah, honestly, Theo is a better investigative reporter uh, than uh, you know. I I'm now getting used to the idea that I'll be the third best family uh, journalist in the family of three. So <laughs> uh, very humble. So uh, we are now getting to the news of the day, Susan. Two weeks since Jack Smith sent his target letter to Donald Trump saying he was a target in the January 6th investigation, uh, after which you wrote in The New Yorker, you said it could be summed up in one word comes to your mind, finally, finally. Why why that reaction, your reaction to this target letter? <laughs> well, you know, it is ironic a bit since it's now been, uh, you know, two weeks <laughs> since it was issued. But, right. <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> let's assume that that they're actually going forward with it, which it seems that that they are. You know, this is the heart of the matter, right? This is ever since, 
not just January 6th, I would say, but ever since it became clear that Donald Trump was launching really a multifaceted, multi-pronged attack on the legitimacy of the election that he lost in 2020 with the very explicit goal of remaining in power. He he did something that no president has has ever done before, really, in, in the whole history of the U.S., and that was to seek to remain in power. Uh, and I think that, you know, if that's on some basic level not illegal, not an offense against our constitutional system, right? Then then what is? And of course, he's charged with other very serious things. This is in no way meant to um, minimize or to uh, kind of beat around other charges that he faces, in particular, the Jack Smith indictment on the classified documents case, not only serious, but getting more so. And yet, I, I just mm-hmm. it seems to me that this case, and we'll see the particular soon, presumably, it is really getting to something very fundamental about the nature of Trump's offenses against the constitutional system. And by far, wouldn't you agree that most, again, if these charges come down as seem to be indicated in the target letter, by far the most serious legal challenges he will have faced? Well, again, uh, you know, we we haven't seen it, but these are extremely yeah. serious uh felonies that he is going to be charged with according to the target letter. They carry prison time. They carry major sanction, as, by the way, do the classified documents charges. Those are the kind of thing that people go to jail for. Um, So, Mm -hmm. again, uh, we don't know what will happen to Donald Trump, but he is facing the prospect of very significant legal accountability for some of his actions. And meanwhile, even though this uh, charges in the January 6th have not yet been filed, uh, we have seen, we did see last week, additional charges filed in this documents case, which you've referred to a couple of times. So it seems like this investigation, both are ongoing. Susan, well, absolutely. That's you know fascinating thing that we learned in the course of uh, Smith and his team filing the superseding indictment, it's called, uh, in the classified documents case, which is what came on Thursday when the entire media industrial complex was actually expecting the indictment in the other case. <laughs> what they got was a superseding indictment in the classified documents case. And that was very notable in a number of respects, but certainly it suggested the investigation was ongoing and that this was new evidence that they had obtained or perhaps new cooperating witnesses that they had obtained since filing the first iteration of the indictment. And that included a, an entirely new charge, by the way, Bill, that in its own right would have been a serious scandal involving any other former president, perhaps aside from Donald Trump, which was the allegation that he personally ordered his subordinates to destroy a surveillance tape. It had this sort of, uh, I don't know, sort of 21st century kind of pathos-ridden version of, uh, you know, the Nixon uh, uh, cover-up. Yeah, it right. really did to me. And a very serious allegation. Again, clearly there seemed to be uh, cooperating evidence. It also seems apparent from the indictment that they did not succeed in destroying the surveillance tapes from Mar-a-Lago, which will likely end up being a key bit of evidence in uh, the classified documents case overall, because it's not just that Trump is charged with possessing hundreds of top secret documents after he left the White House, but significantly that he conspired and led a conspiracy to cover up the fact that he did, and to obstruct the federal officials who tried to reclaim those documents. 
don't have to go back to Richard Nixon, right? It's also reminiscent of Donald Trump in 22016 accusing Hillary Clinton of destroying evidence. Well, even <laughs> down to the about- server, which is something he, he ranted about yeah. throughout his four-year presidency. Remember, he was talking even when he was uh, uh, alongside Vladimir Putin in the infamous Helsinki press conference. What was he talking about? The DNC server, they destroyed the server. Where's the server? You know, And now they have evidence in a federal court of Donald Trump demanding that his employees destroy a server. And, you know, you get the sense, right, that Often in his career, Trump has publicly accused others of the kind of behavior that he himself (laughs) has engaged in or has aspired to engage in. So if we look at both of these cases, um, you know, he could be he's facing charges already of endangering our national security through these documents. He could be facing charges of, in effect, treason, um, undermining uh, or conspiring to overthrow the U.S. government. Uh, do you think the Republican Party would ever seriously nominate somebody who's been charged with violating national security and committing treason? Well, this is the part, Bill, where I feel like we're sort of hurtling toward a catastrophe that uh, a, a new kind of constitutional crisis that I'm not sure people have really wrapped their minds around, in part because it's it's quite unpleasant to wrap your mind around the impending collision of calendar and courtroom here, I think is one that mm-hmm. people don't fully appreciate that while you know, finally, on the one hand, Trump appears to be facing justice for some of his actions, uh, it's come very belatedly. And the result of it is that it appears that he is hurtling toward winning the Republican nomination or at least locking up the votes to do so even before any of these cases has actually gone through to trial and a final resolution. And that means, uh, you know, you're looking at a situation where there could be millions of Republican voters who have uh, cast their ballots for Donald Trump in the early decisive primaries in New Hampshire, Iowa, Super Tuesday in March. The first of these trials isn't scheduled to take place until March. That's the least significant of them in many ways. That's the March uh, trial date, which, of course, could still slip further in the Alvin Bragg, New York case involving Trump Mm -hmm. and the Stormy Daniels hush money. Right now, the classified documents case isn't scheduled to begin until May. And, of course, that could slip further. And we don't even have the 2020 uh, January 6th indictment yet, never mind a court date for it. And so very, very likely you're looking at the possibility of Donald Trump having locked up the Republican nomination before then. Right now, uh, his one potential opponent, people thought at the beginning, who could challenge him, Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, is basically in free fall. Uh, you know, his poll numbers are cratering, uh, going down, not up. Uh, after spending millions and millions of dollars. And there has been no other Republican who has even a a semi-serious chance at the moment of dislodging him. The New York Times pointed out today uh, what unfortunately has been evident for some time. When you have a candidate with such a large lead in a primary, in either the Republican Mm -hmm. primary or the Democratic primary, at this point in an election cycle, he has never been dislodged. No presidential contender right. has ever lost a nomination with a lead as big as Donald Trump's at this point. So, uh, yeah, this is looking like a huge problem in the making. Uh, yes, that New York Times poll, New York Times Siena College poll showing Donald Trump at 54 percent and uh, Ron DeSantis at 17. And yet, Susan, you know, these um, 
again, the final, these other charges, Georgia hasn't come down yet, but there's still an awful lot that has come down of legal challenges to Donald Trump. And yet, uh, as you say, it just seems to propel him higher in the polls. Last week, he went up to Pennsylvania. uh, And uh, here's a little montage of just a, a couple of Trump supporters outside of the rally, knowing all of this, and what they had to say about, we've heard some of this before, but I just would like to get your reaction. Uh, these are, I guess, t- typical Trump voters in Pennsylvania. Most importantly, I like his Christian values that he stands for. These other people, they're in it for themselves, for their pocketbooks, for their power. Trump isn't one of them. You don't like him, you don't like him. But don't persecute him for his opinions. Don't persecute me for my opinions. I believe in the man. He tells the truth, never lies. And he supported our country, and he's fighting for our country. King Jesus first, and then King Trump. In my case, I'm in it because I got into the audit in New York State. I've seen a lot of things that you're not supposed to see when you're auditing an election. We found a lot of duplicated voter rolls. No. Yeah, well, over a million. Good, good. I'm here to to guarantee Trump gets back in and get rid of the corruption that's in the White House right now. It's a disgrace. He's a disgrace. Joe Biden's a disgrace to this country. He's a disgrace, and so are all the uh, so the left and the uh, rhinos, the globalists. They kill them all. Kill them all. Susan, I, I mean, it's hard to believe, you know, these people live on the same planet. You know, Bill, it's hard to listen to that. I, you know, yeah. I mean, look, lies and propaganda work. Lies and propaganda mm-hmm. work. And when you listen to folks like that literally spouting as if they were uh, reading from Donald Trump's social media feed uh, and trying to channel their leader, uh, it's 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 a kind of political cult that has been established in this country uh, around a charismatic demagogic figure like Donald Trump. This is not the first time in the history of the world this has occurred. It's not the first time it's occurred in the history of the United States. It is the first time it's occurred in the history of the United States with someone who was a president and now former president seeking mm-hmm. to return to office. It's it's dangerous and it's threatening when people embrace uh, uh, not only a cult of personality, but one whose foundation is lies. And, you know, potentially in some respects, it can turn to violence. You heard uh, sure. the, the person saying, kill them all, kill them all. We tend to dismiss that kind of overheated rhetoric in our politics, and yet January 6th ought to have been, uh, you know, this wake-up call and a reminder to the society that uh, uh, when you demand violence to carry out your extra-legal, extra-constitutional political aims, uh, eventually some people will show up and they will do what they think you're asking them to do, and that's actually what we already had happen in this country. So the idea that two and a half years after those extraordinary events uh, following the 2020 election, that we are where we are, I think, is what is deeply unsettling. And, you know, Donald Trump, the prospect of him returning to the White House, uh, many people may say, well, that's that's a slim possibility. Uh, you know, he's more appealing to Republicans, but less appealing in the general election. I would say to that, okay, fine, that's probably true. But what's you know, in this very divided country, uh, you know, mm-hmm. his his chance of winning is not not only not zero percent, it's not ten percent, it's not twenty percent, it's significantly higher than that. And that is an unbelievable risk factor for this democracy because the Donald Trump who returned to office would not be the Trump who came in 
after winning in 2016. Uh, he would have four years of experience under his belt. The agenda that he's planning is much more radical. The cadre of people who he would surround himself with, much more radical, much more intent on blowing up uh, the system in Washington and and having the tools to do so. Right. So um, those people like that, uh, you can provide them with no matter how many facts or all the truth, they're never going to change their mind. But do you think for the Republican Party as a whole, that at some point, the combination, the compound of all of Donald Trump's legal challenges uh, added up will just cause the whole Trump campaign to collapse and the Republican Party realize, look, we just can't win with this guy at the top, even though we may like him, we've got to move on. Bill, do you, do you, do you see that happening? <laughs> Hope springs eternal here in the US, right? I mean, you know, it's really, it's extraordinary how much Trump's opponents, both within the Republican Party and, you know, outside of it and, and you know, Democrats, independents, how much people still have this sort of fantasy of the, you know, this, this, this gotcha aha moment when Republicans suddenly wake, you know, sleeping beauty, like yeah. from their slumber and, and realize that, you know, like w- what's happened to them. But there's just, not only is there no evidence for that, but it's going in the other direction, right? If you just, if you look at the it numbers, yeah. if you look at the numbers, what it is, is that the ideology of the Republican party is now Trumpism, is Trump. Basically, personal identification with the leader has become the test of loyalty. It has become the test of whether you're a real Republican or not. You know, that phrase, rhinos, Republicans in name only. That used to be a sort of an ideological slur by the hardliners in the party. Donald Trump, as you heard in in that voter there, has turned it into a slur against those who don't identify Republicanism with Trumpism, with Trump personally. Mm -hmm. And it's not ideological, except in 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 as much as you accept that Trump is the ideology, the Republican Party. So I actually think it's just much more uh, dangerous the situation right now than it was in in 2016 uh, because you know you can't go back in time and undo things. And and yet I hear the same thing from Trump's opponents now that we heard for all of the last basically seven years. Well, oh, won't this be the thing that you know really convinces mm. people? And yeah, for me, yeah. I stayed up all night on the night of January 6th to watch Congress go ahead and come back in after that riot in the Capitol and finish their business and certify the election. And for me, what I really realized, despite the shock of the moment when so many people thought, well, this is really it for Trump, you know, he's he's toxic, he's finished, he's over. When I saw the two-thirds of the House Republican Conference walked over the shattered glass of the United States Capitol and voted not to certify an election Mm -hmm. that Donald Trump had lost. And they knew it. And they knew it. I thought, you know, this isn't over. And I I just, I can't, I can't understand at this point why so many people are still waiting for, you know, the Republican Party to somehow snap back to its former self. (laughs) Right. To come to its senses probably ain't going to happen. All right. Now, um, in case we had any of you had any doubts or questions, about how Donald Trump can afford 
all these lawsuits. Well, we've got a little information about that the last in the last couple of days. Uh, let's take a quick break, Susan, and, and we'll come back and talk about uh, all the legal fees Donald Trump has uh, racked up and how he is paying for them. Uh, Susan Glasser, again, from the New Yorker magazine, our guest on today's Bill Press Pod. Quick break, and we'll be right back. And today's podcast is brought to us by the United Food and Commercial Workers Union, good members of the UFCW, over half a million strong, under President Mark Perrone. They're the union members that you see most often uh, in our daily lives. I was up in Rhode Island a week or so ago, went in the big uh, grocery store, stop and shop, and I asked the clerk uh, who was uh, taking care of me on the way out, so are you a member of the UFCW? And she said, you bet. And I'm proud of it. They are the ones who staff our big retail outlets, big grocery stores, chemical plants, meat and poultry processing plants, all on the front lines serving Americans every day. We salute the good members of the UFCW. Check out their website at ufcw.org. And we thank them for their support of the Bill Press Pod. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And we're back on today's podcast with Susan Glasser, good friend, staff writer for the New Yorker magazine. She also writes their weekly online column, Letter from Biden's Washington, and of course, co-author with her husband, Peter Baker, of what I think is the very best book about the Trump presidency, The Divider. And Peter and Susan have been on the podcast uh, several times. Susan, welcome back. So we found out that uh, a couple of days ago that in the first half, of this year, 2023, uh, D- Donald Trump has spent $40 million on legal fees, and it was all paid for by his political PAC, Save America. Where's that money coming from? Remarkable, isn't it, Bill? Uh, you know, it's uh, yeah. it's coming from the little people, uh, you know, who we, we heard at that Trump rally. Uh, you know, Donald Trump has turned uh, his election uh, denialism into uh, a business model 
essentially. And, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, every time there's the threat of a new indictment, one of the reasons that Trump is the first to announce it is because he's raising money off of the prosecutors. He's raising money off of creating this idea that he's being persecuted and that his persecution is the persecution of his followers. And uh, so the grift element is is strong with him. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, this guy who constantly brags about his enormous net worth uh, basically is 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 forcing, uh, you know, little uh, uh, mom and pop Trumpists all around the country to pay his legal bills for him. By the way, and that grifter thing is nothing new, right? This is who Donald Trump, as you point out in your book, has been, is today, and has always been. Absolutely, absolutely. There's no new playbooks. You know, first of all, not a lot of men in their late 70s are learning new acts, and certainly <laughs> Donald Trump is not. Uh, you know, his playbook is his playbook, and uh, <laughs> he's going to find a way to have other people pay his bills. Uh, and what's astonishing and breathtaking, right, is just how big these bills are. We are talking tens of millions of dollars in lawyers. And right. by the way, one of the problems that Donald Trump is facing is that he can't find lawyers because he has so many legal cases pending against him right now. Because there's also, we talked about the criminal cases, there's also a bunch of civil lawsuits that he's involved in right now. And so, you know, lawyers upon lawyers upon lawyers, conflicts of interest upon conflicts of interest, and then many people, many respectable lawyers in this country who wouldn't touch Donald Trump with a 10-foot pole, not only because he's an untruthful uh, client who's politically toxic, but also because he has a reputation for not paying his bills, even if he is raising millions of dollars right. to do so. Yeah, and just a little footnote: the uh, the Trump campaign announced they need another sixty million, like for the rest of the year, on top of the forty million to pay these legal bills. And yet, Susan also he keeps losing, right? Filing all these lawsuits uh, this week in Georgia, he had filed a lawsuit to trying to dismiss the case of the Fulton County, Georgia, against him, the, even the investigation. The judge threw that out. He tried to delay until after the 2024 election, a Jack Smith's case, uh, the documents case. The judge threw that out. He tried to have, I think, the New York trial moved or the Florida trial moved to some other state. The judge threw that out. <laughs> uh, not a good record. You, you know, it's, 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 it's a playbook, though. It's a playbook, and it's one that he's been doing his entire life, long before he entered politics. This is what he did. He saw it always uh, as a business person to weaponize the courts on his own behalf, filing spurious lawsuits uh, when he was called in uh, to question in court by the authorities or by other uh, people in business. He would always file obstructive motions to delay and using it as essentially as a tactic in his businesses. He's done the same thing. Uh, now that his business is politics. And, you know, Donald Trump's goal mm-hmm. is to buy time uh, to get to the 2024 election, to win that election, and then to use the machinery of the federal government on his own behalf, uh, including potentially uh, uh, dismiss these cases, uh, 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 make sure that he or uh, his co-defendants are um, given pardons using the power of the executive. So that's his strategy. There's no like, that's the thing with Donald Trump. It's not like some complicated, super secret, incomprehensible game of 3D chess. You know, <laughs> this is this yeah. is checkers, you know, like keep alive, <laughs> stay alive. Right. <laughs> and, you know, Will Hurd, who will not be the Republican uh, candidate nominee for president, but who is running for president, uh, in Iowa at the uh, 
um, you know, all come to the party rally that they had last Friday. Um, all the candidates, most of the candidates there, including Donald Trump. Will Hurd uh, did not please the crowd when he, I thought, told the truth about why Donald Trump may be running for president. Here is uh, here's that little um, statement to the crowd. One of the things we need in our elected leaders for them to tell the truth, even if it's unpopular. Donald Trump is not running for president to make America great again. Donald Trump is not running for president to represent the people that voted for him in 2016 and 2020. Donald Trump is running to stay out of prison. And if we elect... Uh, they didn't like it, but uh, Susan, I have to say, I think there's a lot of truth in what he's saying. Of course there is. I mean, you know, look, Bill, this is another example. It's hard to listen to, but it's another example of what we were talking about, which is that the Republican Party, for all intents and purposes today, is the Trump Party. And that's its ideology. He's their leader. And they're going to, you know, cheer their leader and they're going to boo anybody who criticizes their leader. And that's one of the reasons that no one has been able to emerge to challenge Donald Trump, because the only lane to run so far, it, it appears in the Republican Party, is the Trump lane. And if you're running as a sort of an imitation Donald Trump, as Ron DeSantis was, well, that doesn't proved to be all that saleable so far, because <laughs> why not pick the original? And the critics of Trump, you know, the numbers suggest, I think the New York Times poll we talked about earlier suggested it's about 25% never Trump. That may even be high, honestly, uh, uh, as, as an estimate for how, what percentage of the Republican Party is against mm -hmm. this, this development in their party. But it's not enough to win. No, no. No, and it's more than enough for him to get the nomination, uh, it seems. Uh, no, well, Susan, there's so much more of the American political scene we could talk about, but you and Peter um, spent a lot of time in Moscow, uh, and so I'd like to ask you about the situation in Russia, if we can move there for just a minute or so. Uh, in fact, l let's use Donald Trump as a transition. Uh, he suggested uh, at that meeting in Iowa that Republicans should not, in Congress, should not give any more money to Ukraine unless Ukraine agrees to investigate Joe Biden, right? Um, haven't we seen this movie before? <laughs> I'm so glad you brought that up, Bill, because it is really a breathtaking moment. Here it is uh, in the, the 2024 campaign already. Donald Trump is saying the quiet part out loud. This is literally what got him indicted. i sorry, impeached, uh, which is the, congressional, yeah. the congressional version of indictment back in 2019. Uh, and it's, it's essentially seeking to uh, blackmail Ukraine uh, and now to blackmail members of Congress into uh, either investigating Joe Biden and his son, Hunter Biden, or uh, holding up aid for Ukraine. Donald Trump has never been in favor of supporting the war in Ukraine, despite broad bipartisan support for that in the United States since the Russian invasion of last year. In fact, Donald Trump uh, has previously told people he doesn't even consider Ukraine to be a real country, which, by the way, is uh, parroting and mirroring Russian propaganda. That's exactly the same thing that Vladimir Putin says about Ukraine, mm -hmm. that it's not a real country. Trump uh, has publicly opposed uh, the various uh, multi-billion dollar aid packages of military assistance that the United States has 
has approved, Congress has approved in the wake of Russia's invasion. And, uh, you know, he and, and his sort of faction, his ho- most hardcore faction inside the Republican Party, that's one of the areas where there would be the most clear-cut contrast and where this Trump factor in American politics is having real repercussions in the world. And I think that, you know, there's an enormous amount of anxiety because you can't Trump-proof uh, America's support for Ukraine. Uh, if if America were to vote for uh, Donald Trump or otherwise get him in some fluke uh, uh, in 2024, that would have an immediate consequence on our ability to support our, you know, people in Ukraine who are literally fighting for their freedom and their existence. Uh, and meanwhile, it's hard for us to figure out, but what what do you read of the impact this war in Ukraine is having inside of Russia, particularly on the position of power of Vladimir Putin? Well, of course, you know, all the Russia hands, uh, you know, that Peter and I have been friends with and have followed for the last couple decades, you know, extraordinary event occurred with this attempted mutiny or, or actual mutiny mm-hmm. by um, Yevgeny yeah. Prigozhin, the, the leader of the Wagner Group. Uh, you know, this is really the first time uh, in 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 a couple decades that you've seen kind of Russia without its monopoly on the use of power inside its own borders, right? And that is a dramatic event and and weakening for any government. Putin's response widely panned and castigated as a sign of weakness uh, that he did not really banish Prigozhin and his uh, some of his fighters. Prigozhin has been seen. Uh, in Russia at various times, including meeting with Putin himself at the Kremlin, although he was supposed mm-hmm. to be going into exile in Belarus. And so, you know, you have a sense that that Putin is not in as strong a position as perhaps we understood him to be. But at the same time, it's a very opaque situation. And in many ways, we have less information about the Kremlin and about politics inside of Russia today than we did even in the late Cold War period. Uh, And this, of course, is partially a result of Putin's war of aggression in Ukraine. He used that as a cover to uh, enact very repressive new laws, to remilitarize Russian society, uh, as many as a million uh, dissidents and young men who didn't want to be conscripted into war have left the country. So in some ways, the kind of the best and the brightest and more Western oriented mm-hmm. of a new generation have left the country. And, you know, the result has been essentially a stifling of public discourse uh, in Russia, uh, a, a suppression, taking politics underground. And so, you know, it's sort of the cats fighting in the bag situation here. We know that something very momentous is going on right now. And obviously, uh, Russians can understand that that even with the propaganda, some of them understand full well that the war isn't going as planned and that Vladimir Putin, you know, bit off uh, something that has turned into a major kind of humiliation for him. Right. Um, but yet it would be very difficult, given uh, the politics of Russia or the, you know, the lack of uh, any political dissent in Russia, very difficult to dislodge him. Well, uh, that certainly yeah. uh, is the view. Donald, uh, sorry, Vladimir Putin has spent two decades essentially seeking to yeah. shore up his regime's um, longevity and stability and eliminating public fora for dissent. 
politics exists in Russia, but of course it's gone underground. Uh, it's gone back to the mm. kitchen table, as they would say in, in Russia, when you can't trust others. Uh, uh, and the result is, you know, there's no real opposition po- political parties anymore. Uh, there's no real opposition media or even independent media that's allowed anymore. There's uh, no freedom of speech. In fact, it's a crime to call the war a war. You're only allowed to call it a special military operation. And, you know, so in that kind of an environment, uh, you know, Putin has 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 turned what was perhaps a, a soft authoritarian situation a couple decades ago in the first few years he came into power into, you know, a modern day dictatorship. Now, dictatorships can hollow out. They can become uh, weakened in a way that's not apparent until they fall. Uh, the the phrase from Hemingway mm-hmm. is, you know, like slowly then quickly uh, certainly applies uh, to how transitions of power have happened previously in Russia because of this situation of having been in dictatorships historically. So Susan, it's so great to catch up with you on many fronts. Thank you so much for your good work. Thanks for your time for us today. Uh, And we send our best to you and to Peter Baker and to Theo Baker. Uh, Thanks, Susan. Thank you so much, Bill. It's great to be with you. And thanks for your shout out to Theo. Okay, great conversation with Susan Glasser. You should read her every week in the New Yorker magazine, her letter from Biden's Washington. Uh, It's absolutely a must read if you're interested in what's going on in Washington. And uh, we know you are. That's why we hope to see you on Friday for our roundtable. This is a strange week. Joe Biden's on vacation. We hope it's Delaware. Uh, The Senate is out. The House is in for just a couple of days and they go on their August break. But you know what? There'll still be lots of political news for us to talk about on Friday and maybe even new charges filed against Donald Trump regarding January 6th. We'll wrap it all up on this week's roundtable on Friday. Have a great week, everybody, and come back and see us on Friday for our roundtable and the next edition of the Bill Press Pod.